0: When one thinks of Native American raids on white settlers, they typically imagine Hollywood scenarios of Indian warriors ambushing cowboys and caravans of covered wagons. They may think of early colonial times when the threat of attack from tribes such as the Pequot was a real possibility. After all, the indigenous peoples of the Americas had devastating interactions with the Europeans who came to the New World. They found their territory, cultural distinctions, and entire ways of life challenged and under attack. As the people of the small settlement of Cote sands du could attest to, Indian raids were not just limited to the early colonists or the tribes of the Plains and Southwest who saw an increase in white settlers as gold booms and homesteading increased. For the people of this small settlement in modern-day Callaway County, they would find themselves under a frightful attack and would find deliverance in an unusual way. Join us as we examine Cote Sands du Saw, Native Americans, French settlers, their hostilities, and how they became a part of the show me.
1: Missouri. I am from Missouri. Show me. Show me. I am from Missouri. Show me. I'm from Missouri. Show me.
2: Show me. You're listening to the Show Me podcast with your host Chris Cowan.
1: I'm from Missouri. Show me. Show me. Show me. me. I am from Missouri. I'm from Missouri. I am from Missouri. You have got to show me.
0: Missouri was part of the Louisiana Purchase, sold by France to the United States in 1803. Even though it was no longer a territory of France, there remained French settlers in what would later become the state of Missouri. A few of these Frenchmen would establish a home along the northern banks of the Missouri River, near where the Missouri and the Osage Rivers meet. There is debate upon when exactly the settlement of Cote du was founded, but it could be narrowed down to being founded between 1803 and 1812, with 1808 being the most probable of the years given. The village would draw its name from an unusual feature, a lone hill that stood alone in the Missouri River Bottoms, Cote du being French for hill without design. Founded by Jean-Baptiste Roy, it was at the time of the village's establishment, the westernmost city of the Louisiana Territory, and thus, the westernmost city under the control of the young United States. The site was selected due to the abundance of wildlife, making it a natural choice for French fur trappers and hunters. Deer, beaver, and black bear were plentiful and provided a money-making resource for these early settlers, many of whom worked for the village's founder. Mountain lions and even buffalo were not unheard of in the region either, adding additional pelts that those early settlers could take. Even though the village had been settled and inhabited by the French, It remained in territory owned by the United States, so as America went to war, so too did the land that it held. This would be the case in the War of 1812, as numerous Native American tribes became allies of the British, such as the Saucon Fox peoples. Although the war ended in early February of 1815, the end of the war either never reached the Saucon Fox, or the Saucon Fox simply didn't care because in April of that year, just months after the war officially ended with the signing of the treaty at Ghent, these allies of the British Empire would attack the French-American settlement on the hill without design. Although the land was now owned by the United States of America, the lands had been traditionally hunted and inhabited by numerous tribes. Bands of the Sauk, Iowa, Osage, and Fox had called these lands home and by allying with the British, they thought that the Whites would flee the area and return east of the Mississippi. As we all know, that did not happen, and American encroachment on native lands would rapidly expand and reach the Pacific in relatively short order. But for the here and now, many of the tribes were upset that Whites were still in the area. The Sock and Fox, along with their allies in the Iowa decided that something must be done, and would choose cote sans du as the place to do so. cote sands du had two small forts. After all, small raids were not unheard of out on the frontier, so two blockhouse fortifications only made sense not only to fight off raiders, but to serve as a deterrent to raiding in the first place. On April 4th, 1815, These two deterrents would have little effect as 200 Native American warriors approached the settlement that housed around 20 families. It must be remembered that this was decades before the Indian Wars that made names like Custer, Crazy Horse, and Geronimo famous. In 1815, the United States was unable to send military personnel out to the frontier that was central Missouri. Settlers had to rely on themselves for their own protection, and they would soon find out that they would need all the protection that they could get. Joseph Roy was out hunting in the nearby woods. He scouted the forests for signs of life. Beaver pelts were always in demand, As their pelts were all the rage in fashion and could also be used as a trade good with friendly Native Americans. The riverbanks and nearby creeks provided plenty of opportunity to hunt the water-loving rodents. Roy kept quiet so as not to spook his prey, and then he heard it. The rustling of leaves, the snap of twigs. Roy approached the sounds expecting to collect a pelt at best, or at least fresh game to eat. Instead of approaching the game that he sought, he approached the Sok War Party and quickly retreated, hightailing it back to cote du and alerting the village inhabitants. The men grabbed their rifles, knives, axes, and anything else that could be used as a weapon. The women, children, and slaves retreated to the two fortifications, the larger being Thibaut's fort and the smaller being the Roy Fort. They made it to the forts just in time as the battle was soon underway. The men of the French settlement engaged 150 warriors and the fighting continued for most of the day. But these 150 warriors served another purpose, to keep the men of the settlement busy so that the remaining 50 warriors could sneak around the battlefield and approach the stockade. In the main skirmish, men on both sides were being wounded and dying. The Sock, Fox, and Iowa were being hit with rifle fire while arrows brought down French and American settlers. Captain Etienne Corso would be hit by the Native American advance and perish in the woods that surrounded the fort. Ultimately, the residents of Cote sans were able to push back the Native American attackers. But the story that makes this not just a brief bit of Missouri's history to be delegated as a footnote, but instead a legend, involves those 50 warriors outside of the main skirmish at Roy's fort. Louis Roy, had remained in the small blockhouse. There are various myths about why he remained in the fort instead of joining the rest of the men fighting against the main skirmish. There are those who say that he was a coward, hiding from the fighting that went on around the outskirts of the village. Others claimed that he was in the blockhouse cleaning his rifle when the attack began. And there are also those who state that Luis was in the blockhouse because he could sense that something about the attack was amiss, and he knew that the attacking Native Americans would attempt something like sneaking a smaller force into the stockade. The frontier that would become mid-Missouri was no place for a coward. It was not an easy life, and one would know that before attempting to make such an area their home. But regardless of the reason, Roy was in the small blockhouse, along with his wife, sister-in-law, and two other men. Legend states that Roy was an excellent marksman who rarely missed a shot, and in the days of muzzle-loaded muskets, accuracy wasn't always the best, but Roy was known for being able to make his shot count every time. Now he was surrounded by hostile natives who would like nothing more than to see him and his loved ones dead. He took aim through a rifle slot and opened fire at an approaching brave and pulled the trigger. His muzzleloader erupted in a violent roar of thunder and smoke, and the brave dropped to the ground dead. He reloaded, took aim, and dropped another brave. One of the other men had his rifle as well and followed Roy's lead, taking aim at the attacking braves and firing. The third man dropped to his knees, clasped his hands, and began to pray for the settlers trapped inside. His vigil would remain persistent throughout the fight. The two women that were sheltered in the small blockhouse with Roy were not content with cowering and letting the two men fight for their survival, and they remain as much of this tale as Louise Roy. They tore wadding and molded bullets for the French marksmen that continued wounding and killing the attacking warriors with every pull of the trigger. The Sock, Fox, and Ioway were not so bold and foolish as to continue walking into musket fire just to die. They sought another method to kill the French settlers. They ignited the heads of their arrows and fired them at the blockhouse, where the arrows stuck into the wooden walls and thatched roof and lit the building on fire. The women grabbed a jug of milk and used the white liquid to douse the flames. Once more, the Native American warriors lit their arrows and fired, and once more, the blockhouse caught a blaze. Using what little water and other liquids they had, the women drenched the flames that threatened them. The Native Americans let loose another volley, and the shelter that held the settlers once again caught on fire. But the women had already used everything that they had on hand to quench the fires. All that remained was a bedpan that one woman quickly filled and used to extinguish the small fire before it could spread. Outside, the natives were growing frustrated. Three times they had lit the blockhouse on fire and three times it had been put out. A fourth volley let loose and found its target. And once again, one of the women filled the bedpan and doused the flames. And then a fifth volley and a third pan of urine People have often mentioned not having so much as a pot to pee in, but for the few settlers who had taken shelter in Roy's Fort, they luckily had such a pot. The Sock, Fox, and Iowa had had enough. The blockhouse would remain, and they would target another cabin in its place, the cabin that served as a powder magazine. Their fiery missiles struck the cabin, lighting it a fire, which shortly after exploded, killing multiple warriors in the process and in true Hollywood action-flick fashion, blasted several more into the waters of the Missouri River. After the explosion of the powder magazine and the repeated attempts of setting fire to the blockhouse, only to see their dreams washed away by the golden showers of the women in the building, the Native Americans decided that now was the time to retreat. Injuries had mounted on both sides, with five casualties among the settlers and approximately 14 of the Sock and Fox and their Iowa allies dead, with dozens more wounded in battle. Sometime after the battle, Madame Roy, the wife of Luis Roy, who had doused the flames of the blockhouse with her urine, was presented with a silver-plated bedpan engraved with her name and an account of her actions. The gift was presented in a humorous fashion by other residents who had survived the battle and was given in good nature. Madame Roy, however, appears to have lacked a sense of humor and found this gift to be incredibly offensive. With her temper raging over the perceived slight, she threw all the presenters of the silver bedpan from her home. Apparently, one bedpan was enough for Madame Roy. For the settlers of Cote Sands-Dusau, they would survive the assault and continue to live in the area, seeing their small settlement grow in number. The Native Americans would continue conducting raids on settlements throughout the following year, seeing some success in certain skirmishes and driving other settlers away, destroying their townships. The settlement of Cote Sands-du-Saul would itself see its own destruction in 1844, when the largest known flood of the Missouri River at the time would wash the village away. Many of the settlers would relocate across the river and found French Village, known today as Bonnet's Mill. But the name of Cote Sands-du-Saul would live on, seeing residents of the original location continue to use the name, and even operate a post office in roughly the same spot of the original settlement until it would finally close in 1907. Cote Sands-Dusau remains a largely forgotten part of our state's history, but being the site of a frontier battle of Native Americans would not be its only role to play in the shaping of our state. But that remains a tale for another episode. As for the battle at Cote Sands-Dusau, the French and American settlers who lived there, and the Sauk, Fox, and Ioway, along with Madame Roy's bedpan, they would all become a part of the show me.
1: From Missouri. I am from Missouri. Show me. Show me. I am from Missouri. Show me. I'm from Missouri. Show me. Show me.
2: This has been a presentation of the Show Me Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, then please leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or whichever service you listen with. Contact us at theshowmepodcast.com. Find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or leave us a voicemail at 573-203-8668. This presentation is copyright 2019, The Show Me Podcast. No part of this program may be duplicated or reproduced without the written consent of The Show Me Podcast. Music in this program is Creative Commons Media and is the property of the respective creating entity. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks for another episode of The Show Me.
1: I'm from Missouri. Show me. Show me. Show me. I am from Missouri. Show me. I'm from Missouri. I am from Missouri. You have got Missouri, show me. I am from Missouri. You have got